Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Most footwear brands overlook natural materials for cheaper synthetic alternatives. But when it comes to quality, Mother Nature knows best. Allbirds took that idea and ran to create their iconic wool runners. Wool runners are made with premium supernatural materials that are both comfy and durable. So you can run to the ends of the earth or just to the store. Plus, they're machine washable to stay looking as fresh as the first day you got them. The Wool Runner Upper is made with superfine ZQ certified merino wool that's breathable, temperature regulating, and moisture wicking. And the sugarcane-based sweet foam midsoles cushion your feet and put a little bounce in every stride with all-day support. Allbirds are constantly innovating to increase the performance and longevity of their materials. Even on your toughest outings, you'll wear out before your shoes do. This year, take a big step forward for Mother Nature with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair today at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Something. Get you some facts right here. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan, and thank you so much for being here. As always, this podcast is probably a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Go and check it out for any of your musical podcast needs. You won't be disappointed. On today's show, Benedict Cork finds the beauty in the darker emotions, both as a songwriter and an individual, although you might not expect it when you hear his latest single, Have a Good Life, See You Never, which he performs for us live on the show. He got his start as a performer at the age of 15 when he took up a gig as a piano man in London, fine-tuning his piano and vocal chops as well as learning the craft of songwriting. That experience catapulted him to release his first single, easy in 2018 i chat with benedict today about all of that and more on this episode of the song facts podcast so please go ahead and enjoy mr benedict cork really thought you'd choose me too jealous maybe he's a better man i got issues with your loyalty but maybe he's more worthy of your company benedict cork thanks so much for coming on the song facts podcast just to start out just tell me how you're doing oh no thanks for having me um i am do you know what big question but i am good i am it's been it's been a it's been a weird year overall you're um, good yeah overall i'm good yeah okay that's what we like to hear (laughs) so you've you've got the i knew this but i had kind of like spaced it out as i was writing my outline but you just mentioned it again you've got a podcast so tell me a little bit about this podcast you have yes i've just started my first episode launched like two or three days ago Um, amazing 
it was a little lockdown project. It's something I've always loved podcasts. Um, so yeah. thank you for having me. And I, I love um, the sort of unfiltered conversation you get on it, where there's no ad breaks and you're not you're not bunched into three minutes or five minutes of time. And so I feel like the conversations just go a bit deeper. And so um, for my new EP, which is called Secrets I'll Never Tell, I wanted to chat to um, other creatives about some stories in their lives and and um, you know kind of share their I guess secrets quote unquote and it's um it's been a really for the last few months um it's been a learning curve as well like I've never edited a podcast together before and it's um I don't know how you do it it's a it's a it's a big job but it's so fun and um yeah it's really rewarding I've really really loved it what I read somewhere when I first started doing these a couple of years ago was if you can get whatever your episode time is, if you can take double that amount of time and get your editing done, then you're like in pretty good shape. So that's kind of something to shoot for. Do you mean, do you do it straight afterwards? Do you kind of finish? I try to, I like, I really like to do it when it's fresh today. I'm not going to be able to, I've got to go shoot some video once we get done, but um, I'm going to be, I'll come back and either do it this evening or or first thing tomorrow morning. Sweet. While it's fresh. It's, like it's best to do that. I, I've, I've waited a few days before and then you're like, hang on. And like right now when it's fresh, it's easy to like make those cuts and those edits, but otherwise it gets a little bit tough. Yeah. Um, so this kind of, I found interesting about you because you spent a fair amount of time playing as a quote piano man um, at different pubs and venues around London. And I, I just always wondered, do you look up, look back at that time fondly? I do. Yeah. It was actually really exciting. I think I, I was 15 when I got my first job doing it. Oh, and wow. Yeah. It was a really cool job to have. I mean, I was just so lucky I fell into it. I've been playing piano for a few years, but I hadn't um, ever thought of it as a job, really. I was still kind of deciding what I wanted to do. And then it was a little restaurant next to my school that had a piano in the window. And I walked past one day and just like knocked on and was like, hey, do you like, have you got anyone, anyone that plays your piano on a Friday nice. night? <laughs> um, and that was my first job. And I did it for two years while I was still at, um, at school doing my A-levels. And it was such good training. It was it's quite tough, you know, playing for like three, four hours in a night, especially when you don't know that many songs. Like I really had to kind of learn on the job. And then people, obviously people come up and they're like, you know, I'll play that Billy Joel song or yeah, I'll play yeah. that Elton John or something. And you've got to kind of be able to do it. So it's, um, it was kind of like my music college in a way. And um, yeah, I look, I look back on it really fondly. I loved okay, it. Okay, good. So what were some of the songs that you remember playing that just kind of really grabbed the, grabbed the audience? I'm so curious about this besides like <laughs> Piano Man and Any Elton. So do you know what's crazy? It's always the unexpected one. So there was there was like a, he must have been in his 70s or 80s, a guy who sort of like walked over to the piano, dropped a fiver and then said, can you play Miley Cyrus Wrecking Ball? Um, <laughs> and so obviously I'd never played that before in like a lounge bar and did this sort of jazzy, like stripped back version of Wrecking Ball. And it went down so well. And then I kept it in my set for years because it was just kind of, I don't know, it's a bit weird to kind of hear a piano man in the corner playing Miley Cyrus. Um, and Kesha TikTok came up loads of times as well um Katy Perry firework like loads of like big pop bangers that you kind of turn into piano ballads was was fun is, is that do you know the chord structure for that or are you training are you just doing stuff by ear how do, how do you go about that a bit of both um so often with the chords uh, a lot of like traditional pop songs are you know really simple so things like like firework Katy Perry I think is just four chords yeah so after you played the first sort of 20 seconds you can kind of figure it out um and then a few of them I would just look up on my phone um online Oh, and, good uh, stuff. Yeah, I have seen that a lot at open mics now where people are like coming and having their phones set up yeah. or like an iPad or something like that with the lyrics. And I've I've noticed that over the last few years. And I guess you don't really have to memorize as much anymore. It's an interesting time. There's a there's a thing called um, 
ultimateguitar.com, which I've been using to like, I've been teaching myself guitar in lockdown. And it's literally the best thing. I've never, I haven't had to pay for a single guitar lesson because yeah. every single song you could ever imagine is on this site. And um, I'm not, by the way, sponsored by them. I just love it. And I go on every day and I just pick a new song and I learn the riff and I learn the patterns. And um, it's kind of the same thing in the piano bars. You just sort of pluck a song out of thin air and go like, ah, okay, that one, and then try it. That's literally the exact same way that I learned guitar years ago. And I still oh, go to that website. No, it's amazing. It's so incredible. It. Like it's, if you get someone who has good tab, you, you can really just hammer it out in a few hours. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. How yeah. did that experience as doing kind of the piano man thing shape you as a songwriter as you were coming into your own career? Ooh, I'd say I definitely learned from playing those songs, like how to structure a song. And when I properly started songwriting and collaborating with people, I could sort of reference songs that I was playing in, in the bars. So, yeah. you know, like a, a traditional pop song structure, I, I, no one teaches you that in school. I did lots of classical stuff in school or, or jazz stuff and, and no one kind of goes, this is how you write a pop song. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of took a lot of that um, information in and sometimes sort of subconsciously, like I'd, I'd uh, be playing these songs in the evenings and then in the daytimes, so I'd be going into studio sessions and, um, and they would kind of filter into the songs. And I had to be careful not to just steal people's ideas, but even just like structural ideas and the way people kind of formulate their verses and the lyrics and stuff. Um, yeah, it was really useful for that. Yeah, I can imagine, because as someone who's like failed miserably at songwriting, but has oh, given sure it a that's fair, not true. Well, sure <laughs> but given it a fair shot throughout my my time. But I'm I'm very I've always been really interested in like I've always leaned on other people's writing to like, well, what if I wanted to write a bridge here, what chord would make sense to go to here for a bridge and that kind of thing. And that always really helped guide me. And is that kind of what you mean is like, Oh, I can like lean on that. I guess I wrote this in a, let me go find a pop song. That's an a and see what they use for their bridge. That kind of thing. Yes. And no, actually, because sometimes when you know where you think it should go, it actually becomes too formulaic. So there's some chords which traditionally people always use in like a bridge or a, a middle eight or something. And actually now I try and steer clear from them because I don't want it to just sound like a, a, a regular bridge, if you know what I mean. Yep, um, sure. So sometimes not knowing is quite nice, um, but it's nice to have those tools to be able to figure it out. So yeah, sometimes if I'm, if I'm struggling for a chorus idea, I'll just sing someone else's song over mine and then be like, oh, that's how they structured their chorus. That's really cool. So they do, they started here, then they went up, then they came back down. It's like AABA or something. And even though you don't want to steal people's ideas, it's really nice to take that influence and, and, um, and sort of use it in your songwriting. Well, isn't it really hard to not, I mean, there's so much more music that can be created, but the pattern is finite, right? Within, I mean, within yeah. the rules of the laws of music, yeah. it's finite. So you like, you just can't, but I get what you're saying. You can use it for inspiration, but not copy it melody and, and everything like that. There's been times in the past where I've left the studio being like, oh, this is a great song. And then you wake up the next morning and like, that is 100% an Adele song. Or, and, that, that and if you don't recognize it, someone else will. And they'll be like, I exactly. think Tom Petty did that. <laughs> yeah. And those songs have, will never see the light of day. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, we all take influence from everything. I, I have conversations with friends and I steal things they say. Um, but so, so long as you're not literally taking someone's ideas and showing it as your own, then I think it's fine. You know? Yeah. Um, so from what I can gather, your kind of first foray into releasing something that you co-wrote on, which you did with um, Simon Jeffries called Easy. Whenever you're in need of touch, the sympathy, if it's just us, baby, 
If his eyes against the world, yeah, we ain't gotta feel this love is all we need. Love don't come easy. Promise that I'll treat you love completely. And I, it's such a beautiful, just chilled out, give me a pina colada <laughs> at the beach type tune. And um, so I just had to like, that's not the vibe that I pick up on when I spend time in the UK. So <laughs> where did the, uh, where did this song get its laid back vibe? So si- we, wrote, we wrote that song in Simon's front room in Brixton um, on like a rainy November morning. And <laughs> Simon's been, um, Simon, Simon has a, a wonderful wife called Cara, who's American, and they'd been long distance dating for years. And they finally got married a few years before that, before we wrote that song. And, um, and they are just like the sunniest couple, the loveliest people. And all I could think, I was definitely not in love at that point. And all I could think about when we were writing that song was them and their um, relationship. And so it just kind of felt like it had to be something really positive and really feel good because um, I, I love writing about heartbreak and I love writing about deep emotion. But yeah. when when Simon played that guitar riff and the chords and stuff, I was like, oh, this has got to be, this has got to be a nice, this has got to be a happy song. Um, so yeah, that's where they came from. Well, and then you kind of put this nice little, like you, like you have this, obviously you have this jazz influence in you somewhere because when I hear your little, your little piano twinkles throughout that, that's kind of <laughs> what I'm hearing is I'm like, we've got kind of like this Moby-esque sunsetty vibe and then we've got this like jazz piano kind of sprinkled over the top of it, just adding these flavors. And it just, I don't know, it really drew me in because there's certain songs that kind of take you places. When I listen to that song, it, like I said, it takes me to like sitting on a beach with a sunset or something like that. And I really like when a song can do that. So great job. Oh, I love that. Thank you. You know, what's crazy about that song is um, I think it came out about three years ago now. Um, there's so many people who've used it for their um, wedding song now. Really? And I actually never thought I'd be able to write a first dance song because I love being sad and I love writing sad songs. <laughs> and actually to have that song um, resonate with people is awesome because it's, um, yeah, at the end of the day, we all kind of want to have a good time and have fun as much as we like to feel things as well. But to know that people love it as enough to kind of play it as their first dance at a wedding is yeah it's awesome it's really cool what an amazing thing to think about of like of all the songs ever written these people have chosen something that i i did and that's like this memorable thing that they're just always gonna have i i can't even imagine what that would feel like to learn it's yeah it's awesome and also i i i end up playing at all my um friends weddings and i love it because it's like my gift to them like rather than getting them like a funky lamp i'll just sing them a song um but those moments are like so special because they're especially these days with like social media and stuff they'll be on camera for life and they'll go back and watch it and yeah to know that that song is playing for someone's special moment is yeah it's really really cool it's really humbling stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. 
You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road. So being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel, Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So, if you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. You've kind of said a couple times now about your uh, your your I don't what what would I say here your you go to uh, the sad places. You like you like the <laughs> the deep emotions and that kind of thing. And I'm just wondering why you think that is. To me, I'm like. Is it the British weather? Like, is it just because you're sitting inside in the rain and you're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to look inward because I don't want to look outside. <laughs> I just, so in my day-to-day life, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. You seem like it. You seem like it. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. But for some reason, I just love exploring that part of human nature. Like I, I, I lived in um, LA for a little bit and even there I was still writing like sad songs all the time. <laughs> I think it's just more interesting. Like I, I do love... I love pop music and I love a party and I love feel good music. But for me personally, I find it really rewarding to kind of go deeper and find things that really um, connect people. And why, why people feel so deeply, you know? And um, I just find that really, I find that really inspiring to, to explore. Um, I think it's a really interesting space to kind of sit in and like yeah. have a look around. It's a bit messy and um, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, and to kind of connect with those emotions through the lyric and through the the tonality of the song and that kind of thing. I, you know, I once set out to write. I think it's I don't know. Sometimes we just draw on those more, and that's a way. Like if you're feeling those lows, I feel like you kind of use songwriting to try and lift yourself out of it. It's almost like this mechanism. It's a tool that people have from that artistic standpoint of like, well, if I do this, it's kind of like therapy for me to get out of this funk that I'm in and I really like that but do you challenge yourself to write a happy love song every now and again just to be like this doesn't come as naturally to me but I think I should at least try and balance this out a little yes and no like I love collaborating and so I find it way easier to write happier songs when I'm co-writing with other people because I don't want them to see how miserable I am (laughs) exactly exactly well yes and actually I I love I love I love being miserable with other people as well like I love sitting around a pub on a Friday night we're talking about really deep things same um but I've actually tried to challenge myself to do that over the past year especially being in lockdown here like I've um had to do a lot more writing on my own and so I've really tried to kind of flex that happy muscle and see and see how it um see how it goes it's been an interesting process because my piano is my first instrument and it's so easy to just fall onto the sad minor chords and find something that feels really beautiful and it often leans towards a sadder vibe but um i don't know i don't want to also always be stuck behind a piano singing sad songs so i really want to kind of 
um, yeah, just push it a little bit and, and go outside my comfort zone. Well, it sounds like you're going to be jumping back and forth between the guitar and the piano soon. So, well, that's the dream. That's the thing. Yeah, hopefully. I'm not quite good enough to play the guitar live yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. We'll keep the quarantine project alive. Um, exactly, yeah. Okay. So you've had the opportunity to support some pretty amazing people like Lionel Richie and Stevie Wonder. And I, I, I'm always just, I love when this kind of stuff happens, especially with a new artist. What can you tell me about those experiences? Do you know that someone was mentioned that the other day, actually, is that that's what's so fun about being um, uh, a sort of creative is as much as there's highs and lows, you get one phone call like that every now and then, which just sort of changes your week or month or year or Absolutely. life. And, um, and I've, I, I've been a Stevie Wonder fan ever since I was, you know, three or something. And I remember yeah. listening to Motown CDs when I was growing up and I actually went to go watch him in, um, in Hyde Park with my sister, maybe seven or eight years ago. And then um, I saw he was playing again with Lionel Richie, who I also love. And I begged, <laughs> I begged my agent to try and get me on that show. And in some miracle, he managed to get me on it. And yeah, it was awesome. It was so cool. And Stevie walked on and he was in tears already before he'd even started singing. And then he said, this is going to be my last show for a while because I'm, I think it was kidney surgery he was going under or something. And so the whole set was just kind of underpinned with this sort of, oh my God, this this could be one of his last shows. Or oh, wow. he was just taking a long break or something. We didn't really know. They didn't really sort of say. And um, it was awesome. It was so cool. It was just, yeah, it was magical. And to be able to go on, you know, in the daytime and play a set before him was was awesome. Did you, did you have the like knowledge of the history of the other live shows? When I think of shows at Hyde Park, I think of like the hippie generation the late 60s when you had the stones and cream and these types of bands doing these massive free shows there and i'm just wondering if you were sitting on that stage being like traveling back in time a little bit just being like <laughs> i can't believe i'm here yes because i've been going to those shows for um for years now because I, it's just the, the amount of um amazing people they've had in hyde park is is ridiculous so i try and go most summers and actually that weekend they had it was stevie wonder on the friday and then it was celine dion on the saturday and then it was barbara streisand on the sunday oh and i was like this is literally like legends weekend yeah. um and luckily because i was playing on the friday it meant i had an artist pass where i could just like slip in on the saturday and sunday and um yeah to go stand in that in that field with i think it's like sixty thousand people Unreal. and see the greats play is yes yeah, it's, it's for sure a privilege it's a, it's a memory i'll never forget Amazing. Okay. So besides the guitar project, you've also been writing some pretty new music. And like you said, it sounds like a lot of it has been somewhat collaborative, but also you've been doing it more on your own, which I think is awesome. Um, and first, back in April, you put out just a really nice, beautiful ballad, All My Famous Friends. I don't feel a thing Chasing the highs in places that I've never been I'm out in Hollywood, living the life of a king Who do I tell I'm the loneliest I've ever been? All my famous friends And so I've got to ask, what was going on when you were writing this song? It's just such an interesting song lyrically. Um, it was, it's all about social media and how we're living in um in a really strange time now where on one hand having all these devices which connect us to everyone around the world has been such 
uh, godsend throughout the pandemic. Yep. I've been having monthly Zoom calls with my family in Australia and I've got family in America as well and, you know, friends around the world and stuff. And it's been so amazing to have that and to be able to do that. If we were locked down, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been so different. And yet at the same time, we've also all been living our lives online. And so that song kind of came out of the the dark side of social media mm-hmm. and, and how it can be quite overwhelming sometimes. And it feels like everybody is sort of famous in their own lives and they're curating their own TV shows every day with photos and videos that are all kind of filtered and, and carefully selected yeah. um, to kind of paint this sort of idea of what we all, all are. And I do it as well. And it's, and I, and, and I'm really trying not to these days more and more because I want to kind of just live my life truthfully, you know? Um, so if I'm having a bad day, I'll, I'll try and just say it. And if I'm not having a good day, if I'm having a great day, I'll try not to over-egg it so that other people who are having a bad day don't feel worse because of that. And, oh, you know, just, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of, yeah, live as authentically as possible. But that, that song was kind of born out of that, that feeling. That's kind of the word that was coming to mind is trying to live your true authentic self. And I think that mm. everyone has, whether or not it's been intentional or not, taken a little bit of a deep deeper dive into the idea of social media and that's how we've had to kind of live over the last 12 months and it seems to be breaking up now but I'm I'm it is it'll be interesting to see how things unfold and and where this kind of goes from here because I think people are pretty tied into it and and living that kind of authentic way through social media is important so I good for you for doing that thank you thanks appreciate that um now Last one. And this is amazing <laughs> because you've agreed to perform this for us, which I just yes. absolutely love because I love these <laughs> like stripped down raw performances. Um, the new song is Have a Good Life. See you never. And before you jump in and start playing it for us, just give me the story behind this one. So this one is, I would say, <laughs> an upbeat song. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say it's a happy song. Oh, but it's, it's definitely um, upbeat. It's definitely energetic. It's definitely got um, got some rhythm to it. I I was on tour with an artist called Duncan Lawrence around the Netherlands just before the pandemic hit. And we, okay. we did maybe 13 or 14 shows together. And um, I was a support act and I went on and I did a full set, just me and the piano. And I loved it and I had such a good time. But in the middle of those shows, um, we had this studio session booked in. And... Um, and I'd, and I'd been playing all these, you know, piano ballads and and um, and I just walked in and I said, please, please, can we do something upbeat today? Like I'm bored, I'm sick of the piano. Um, I don't want to see one. Um, and Mac Jameson, who I wrote the song with, he had this guitar riff and he was like, you know, how does this feel like? And um, and then Hannah Yaddy, who I wrote the song with as well, it was the three of us. We used to live together and we're super close. And um, we just thought, why can't, well, let's write a song, which is basically saying all the things you wish you could have said in the moment, but you don't. You know, when you have an argument or you have a breakup or you have a, a relationship breaks down and there's all those things that you play back in your head from years ago that you wish you kind of said in the moment. Absolutely. But why don't we just put that into a song? Um, and the night before, I'd uh, that had we had a break in the tour and one of the tour managers was leaving and uh, as he left in the car park he just sort of like waved and went have a good life man as if to kind of say like oh it's been really nice getting to know you but I'm probably never going to see you again and I just waved back and I was like see you never Perfect. and I like I parked it in my head I was like wait a second <laughs> this is um there's something in that and then when we got to the chorus I was like how about you just say all the things <laughs> that you wouldn't say like I never really liked your mama goodbye never gonna see you again have a great life 
um and that's kind of where yeah that's where it was born out of it was um yeah that frustration amazing did you have that eureka moment with the with the see you never right away or did it come to you later like what you were talking about with the relationship because i think anybody that's listening that's been on a on a whatever end of the breakup you've been on certainly i can just be like man i wish i would have said some other things there i was just overcome with emotion and nothing was coming to me <laughs> I think it was I, I think it was so the verse and the, the pre were actually harder to write when we got to the chorus um I, I had that title written on my phone um I've got this little list of like concepts and ideas and stuff I always keep on my phone and I just opened it up I was like wait a hot second and literally I think we had those those chords and I was like have a good life I'll see you never <laughs> and then it just literally came there are a few little lyrical tweaks and stuff I actually ha- I found a version the other day that was like a rewrite for, um in the afternoon and it was not good. Um, but yeah, kind of it, the chorus came super, super quickly. And then once we had that, the, the whole rest of the songs sort of formed around it. Good. Well, I mean, I think a lot of times if you can get the chorus done first, because verses can come and then you're like, man, how do I make this explode and, or pop or, or get get the catch, get the hook that I need with the chorus here? That can become a sticking point. So if you can get that first, always a good sign that a song is going to be good. And this one is. So Thanks. Benedict Cork is going to play Have a Good Life, See You Never, raw and acoustic for us. He's having a glass of water. You got to get the vocals warmed up. <laughs> got to get the, the vocal cords lubricated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is Have a Good Life.
Bravo, man. <laughs> Thanks. Wait, so obviously you're an incredibly talented piano player and I just can oh, sit and listen to that kind of thing over and over. And I'm so envious because it's been, I've switched from like guitar and drums to trying to teach myself piano. It was a few years ago. I've been kind of adrift for the last couple of years, but I'm finally like, I can see my keyboard sitting right there. So I'm, I need to jump <laughs> back into it because I just, it's the, it's an instrument that combines the percussion of the drums and then the melody of, of a different instrument, like a guitar or a horn or something like that. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. I have two more questions. One is, and they're both about learning. Like, I got to know where you got your vocal chops. Is that just natural? Or did you take some training? Like, it's just incredible. These, these runs that you do. And if it's just a natural gift, that's so amazing. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I, so when I was, I'm the youngest of four, I've got um, two older brothers, one sister, mm -hmm. and we all sang when we were growing up. So it was kind of music was around the house and um, we weren't a sporty family. We sort of came home and like sang songs and stuff. Um, so I definitely, my love for it started then, but I've heard recordings back from when I was maybe eight or nine or 10 and they are not good. Um, <laughs> but I think because, because I just loved it because I loved music. Um, I think the more you do something, the more you just kind of like chip away at the bad habits and the bad, um, the bad stuff. And then, and then um, and there's a really famous clip of um, Ed Sheeran on a talk show playing a song that he wrote when he was like 13. And the, the, the host is like, all of, you know, all these songs are amazing, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, listen to this one. I think if you just chip away at something, you really, I don't know, you, especially if you love it as well, um, each day, even if it's only a tiny bit of improvement, you get better. And then playing in the piano bars, honestly, really, really helped because um, I was playing maybe four or five hours a night. And so you have to kind of learn how to sing properly and play properly because otherwise you've, you just lose your voice and you, yeah. and you, can't, you can't do anything. So um, yeah, it's a combination of, I think the love of it and also just honestly doing the 10,000 hours a bit. Um, yeah, I imagine yeah. it's the same for where you've gotten the skill on the piano too. Yes, although actually the piano was way more kind of methodical. I did, um, I did classical piano growing up. And again, I loved it. So it sort of helped with doing the practice, but um, I'd come home from school and play for like two, three hours sometimes, you know, do all the scales and then do the little techniquey stuff. And then um, I do like all the exams and things like that. So that really helped with just general kind of technique and playing. Um, and it was only later when I discovered writing and chords and, you know, being creative in that kind of way. I love it. It's so good. You've found what you should be Aww. doing. And I can't, I, I, Benedict, I really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time with us and, and much continued success to you, my man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Cannot thank Benedict enough for coming on the show and definitely for playing a song. I always think that is such a treat for both you and I. Also can't wait to see what he has coming up as a songwriter. I think that he hasn't even began to see what he can do. Guys, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com and have a great day. Go do something kind for someone. Ninety-two percent of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. Ninety-two percent because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. Ninety-two percent stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a thirty-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com/home-trial.